Most of, most of us in here have had to write a resume at one time or another, I'm guessing, right? Uh, it's just part of life, right? Preparing a resume, and most of us have sort of, probably in this day and age, go to the internet to find out how to write a resume. I did it this week. I looked for, for some things. Went to Indeed.com and a couple other places. You know, they say when you're writing a resume, list your important achievements early. The good stuff that you've done, put it right up front. Get it in there early. Uh, show your value and give illustrations of proof of success. Uh, create a personal or professional image. Don't use a crazy font. Use a business font. A resume is designed to make us look good. It's also designed to conceal blemishes. In fact, we all know that at some point in a job interview, we'll be asked to, you know, tell us some of the areas where you're, you know, a little weak and, and maybe you need to work a little bit. And most of us will, like, even try to make that sound good, you know. But, you know, we'll say things like, well, I've... I, maybe, I, I probably care too much, you know? Or, you know, I've been told that my handsomeness distracts other people in the workplace. Something, you know, something along those lines, we'll, we'll say. But the reality is, uh, let, me, let me challenge you with this idea this morning. We all sort of have a faith resume, too. Stories of, of Jesus and what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives, our history... And we're all, um, you know, we're, we're all kind of, if we're a follower of Christ and folks know it, we're kind of on display. And let me, let me challenge you with this thought. Our, our full story, with all of its highs and lows, with all of the, the grand moments, but also some of the, the blemishes, all of those things are important. And stories of our brokenness and weakness can also be impactful as we think about how to tell others about Jesus Christ. I remember um, I was talking to my, my father-in-law who was a pastor for many decades. Now, I, I was talking about, you know, pastors and, and, and kind of pastors revealing their brokenness and messiness and and uh, he said, you know, in seminary, we were actually told as pastors not to let anyone see your brokenness or your blemishes because it would give them excuses to be sinners. Uh, I, I, I push back against that. I think showing your, your, your blemishes, some, no, no, we don't need to be complete open books. There's certain things we don't share, Right. But allowing folks to see that you're, you're a, a normal human being that's working doesn't necessarily show them, uh, give them permission to sin. I think it gives them sometimes permission to receive grace and to experience, you know, the love of Christ for what it's meant to be. Last week, uh, we looked at the story of Philip, this... this uh, and how he ministered to this Ethiopian uh, eunuch and also to a guy named Nathaniel, who was an early follower. His evangelism, uh, Philip's evangelism took off. We, I'm going to reread a verse we read last week. Uh, his, his evangelism took off after he was forced to flee a man who was persecuting all of these new believers. Acts 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. 
This guy Saul has an interesting resume. For those of you who grew up in the church, you know that Saul, this tyrant, this man who went out and arrested these early followers of Jesus, men and women, and threw them in jail, went on to become Paul, the great apostle. And if you look at Paul's resume, it was a little spotty. You know, we're in the, we're in the search for a new pastor at this church right now, and if, uh, if Saul were to give a resume, Paul was to give a resume, probably without his, uh, you know, his name on it, we'd probably look at it and go, eh, he's been in jail quite a few times. <laughs> he goes into churches, sometimes he causes dissension and leaves. Um, yeah, I don't know if we want to be with that guy. Right? Saul had this spotty resume. It's interesting, the transformation that happens in Paul's life. And it's interesting how Paul would describe himself as, as he was serving as a missionary and planting new churches and leading people to the Lord. Silas Atkinson is going to come this morning. He's going to be reading our scriptures for us. Uh, we are going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 through 17. And if you would stand at this time while Silas comes, and we ought to respect for God's word, we're going to hear this this morning. Good morning, Silas. Good to see you. Here's this, and here's that. I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, whom has given me strength, that he considered me trust, trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example of those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Silas. Would you thank Silas for me this morning? Thank you, Silas. In this passage, uh, Paul's talking to a new pastor whose name is Timothy, a young man who probably was the product of, of Paul's evangelism. He may have been one of Paul's early converts. By the way he addresses him, we get that impression. And he does something interesting. Paul does something interesting here right off the bat. In a way, he shares his testimony, doesn't it? Doesn't he? He shares his salvation story with Timothy. And unlike a, a resume, Paul, who's showing Timothy what God has done, he gives a very unvarnished view of his past. So let's, this morning, let's talk about our testimonies and how our stories can be helpful when we're showing other people Jesus in 2022. I want to start by suggesting something this morning. Your personal testimony may lead someone to Jesus. Your personal testimony may be, lead someone to Jesus. I am uh, almost sure that under, the, under my voice this morning, or for our folks that are watching online, there are people here who were first introduced to Jesus Christ by hearing someone tell their story. And something about the story that was told resonated and caused them to explore even further. 
Now, Paul was not specifically leading Timothy to, to Christ here. Timothy was already a believer. But I think his words here can, can teach us a few things. First off, I want to start with a question. What were you like before you became a follower of Jesus? What were you like before you came, became a follower of Jesus? Paul's pretty clear here. In verse 13, he says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. He later in this passage goes on to describe himself as, quote, the worst of sinners. I was a bad dude. We all have a BC story, don't we? A before Christ story. What's your before Christ story? A lot of us in here have a tendency to downplay our testimony. Because oftentimes when we bring somebody up on the platform of a church or you're at a stadium crusade somewhere, we bring up the guy who, you know, robbed a bank and committed murder and then found Christ, right? Or was freed from a horrible addiction. The reality is this, is that there are multiple stories you have multiple stories. You have your salvation story when you first came to know Christ, but you also have stories along the way of how Christ has rescued you during, uh, during dark times, and people need to hear those stories. I can almost guarantee you, I can almost promise you that your story will resonate with some other person. Some other person. Because not everyone has robbed a bank and committed, right? But they have gone through depression or they have seen a marriage implode or they have had a child rebel or they've lost a job or they've lost a loved one. Whatever your story, it will connect with someone. Your story is not the gospel. I think it's important to, to remember that. It's an important thing. It's not scripture. Your story is not scripture, but that does not mean it is not important because your story can point people towards gospel, right? In our lives, we start to see the gospel come alive. I always, I always tell people, you know, between the end of the gospels and the book of Revelation, there's this big window, and you're in that window right now. The story of God is continuing to go on and on and on, and you are part of the story of God. And what God is doing in your life is a powerful thing. There are multiple kinds of testimonies I just mentioned. You have the story of how you came to Christ. You have multiple stories of how God has worked over and over, where you've seen him show up, where he's delivered you. One of the phrases I love is tests oftentimes become testimonies. Tests oftentimes become testimonies. Isn't that cool? Louis Giglio once said that people say all the time, I don't have a good testimony because they think their story has to involve some dramatic story of change from bad to good. But didn't, Jesus didn't come to save people this way. Sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. Jesus came to save by bringing the dead to life, and that's an amazing testimony. Everybody in here has a dead-to-life story, okay? We need to sort of clear out that idea of good to bad, or bad to good. I mean, all of us will probably acknowledge, if we have some degree of self-awareness, that we've done bad things, right? 
Well, the story of the gospel is not bad to good. It's death to life. And all of us can tell death to life stories. Paul was one who was not shy about talking about how God moves in weakness. Most of us in here feel weak from time to time. Most of us look around and look at people and go, man, they, that, well, they got it all together. That person has it all together. But I'm guessing if you went and talked to that person, you'd find out they have frailty and self-doubt and worry and anxiety and all these other things, just like you. But as followers of Christ, we do have this death to life story to tell, to share. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 6, Paul is talking about himself once again. He starts out by saying, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think of me more than what is warranted by what I say or do, or do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, so, so Paul starts out here by saying, you know, some good things have happened and God is speaking through me and it's amazing and it's powerful. But then he says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, I am strong. Because when we are weak, if we are wise, it forces us into the hands of Jesus. And it is at that point we begin to see Jesus move. Paul takes delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. We don't know what Paul's thorn was. It may have been some physical ailment. It may have been a relational ailment, somebody attacking him. We don't know exactly what it was, but what we do know is that God worked through it and then Paul used it to tell others about Jesus Christ. So whether your story is about your conversion or about what has gone recently, it could be a powerful tool to help you to share Jesus with somebody else. It could be a powerful tool. I still sometimes wonder, uh, um, years ago, probably about 20 years ago, when I was uh, working up in Tumwater at a church, I was filling in for the senior pastor that morning and I chose to share a personal struggle. I've kind of mentioned this before. I chose to talk about something that I was battling with the congregation. I was the associate pastor up there and I just one morning as part of a sermon, it wasn't the core of the sermon, but it was a story I told and the sermon was about really a lifelong battle that I have had with anxiety and depression. Nothing particularly glamorous about the story. For those of you that deal with anxiety and depression, can be a bit of a slog. People will say things like, well, so you're sad all the time. No, I was nothing a lot of the time. No energy, no uh, zest for life, just this flatness. And this anxiety that came from feeling like I was not particularly good at anything I did, which led to depression. Oftentimes you'll see anxiety and depression go together. 
And I remember, I had all sorts of points that I was making that morning. I just kind of went off that and, and shared about it real quickly. And it was like the floodgates blew open. After church, I had people down wanting to talk to me. It completely caught me off guard. I'm glad it happened. I wasn't prepared for it to happen. But I realized that day that what I had gone through could be helpful to other people because... I've seen God work in that area in my life. In fact, at, at 56, whatever I am, uh, start to lose count, don't you? You start to, I just saw the, uh, uh, we have a promotion this morning for a, a senior uh, thing and a lot, uh, uh, coming up here on the 6th, and, and I looked at it and I thought, oh, wait a minute, I qualify. Uh, so, and I'll be there. Uh, but, but, but what I realized was and what I've seen over and over again is I don't, from time to time, do I get little tinges of anxiety? Oh, yeah. But nothing like I had before. And I've developed this sort of habit over the years of when I start sensing myself going that way, running to Jesus. And it's been this helpful thing in my life. It's been this hopeful thing in my life. And I, so I'm not shy to tell that story. That had told me something one day, that that's something that people need to see. And I will say the primary thing, and I've gone to counselors, I've done all that. Been on medicine, done all that. But the primary thing that helped me get over it was realizing that I had only one audience. And that was Jesus Christ. And if I was able to live for Jesus Christ and be only concerned what Jesus Christ had to say, what the Spirit of God was directing me to do, it really lessened my level of anxiety. All of you have a story like that. It may not be anxiety, depression. It might be addiction. A lot of people have battled some kind of addiction, be it uh, pornography, be it, we're going to talk about that, by the way, next week, uh, be it pornography, alcohol, drugs, uh, codependency, being in abusive relationships. And as you see God working through the story, don't be afraid to talk about the story. And when you do, focus on transformation. We need to be a people that focus on transformation. One of my favorite stories in all of the Bible happens in John chapter nine. It's a long story. I could read all of John chapter nine this morning. If you want to, go back and take a look at it. But uh, I'm just gonna read a little excerpt this morning. As Jesus went along the way, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Isn't that interesting? That's an interesting line, isn't it? It's pretty loaded. As, a, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming no, uh, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. Now, Amidst all these questions, they brought the man to the Pharisees for questions. And the man basically told the Pharisees what happened. They also brought his parents because they wanted, was this the blind guy? You know, everybody wanted to know, was this the guy that was blind? So they brought his parents to see if he was really a blind man. And his parents confirmed it. 
so uh, the Pharisees brought him back again. Pharisees weren't satisfied. They brought him back again. And in verse 24, it says, a second time they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. The man says this. I love this. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Isn't that cool? Uh, He didn't have to get into a big theological discourse about whether this was actually the son of man. In fact, he kind of answers honestly, doesn't he? I don't know. I've just met him. But boy, I used to be blind and now I see. That's a big deal. Remember back to the beginning of the story where Jesus said the man was born blind so that the works of God may be displayed in him. Sometimes we look at our brokenness and we go, why? Could it be that God wants to do something through you that is beyond anything you've imagined? That is so significant? I was blind, but now I see. God wants to display his works in you. Fill in the blank. I was blind. I was blank, but now I am blank. We all have an I was blank, but now I am blank story, don't we? Think about that this morning. What is your story? What were you and what are you now for those of you who've chosen to follow Jesus Christ? By the way, if you're in here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd love to talk to you. Come talk to me. Give me a call. Call the office. Reach out to me because I want to tell you some stories. I want to hear your stories. Because God has an amazing plan for your life. One of the main concerns people have about sharing the good news of Jesus with others is this. I hear this all the time. What if I screw up? You know, like you're going to tell, you're going to screw something up and then they'll go become a Satan worshiper or something because you just missed one word here or there or something like that, you know, just terrible. What if I do it wrong? I think our stories reduce some of this tension in our life if we think about it. Your story is pretty hard to dispute. You may not have all the theological knowledge. You may not have every chapter and verse in the Bible memorized. You may struggle sharing the four spiritual laws. But what you do have is your story. And and, and the reality is this, is, you know, after I shared my story on depression, you know how many people came up to me and said, that didn't happen? Zero, right? It's my story. They were curious about it. They wanted to ask questions. In the day and age we live in, I think our story may be one of the most powerful things we have to tell others about Jesus Christ for a variety of reasons. 30 years ago, if you had gone around and asked people, what do you think of the Bible? People had gone, it's the good book. Overwhelmingly in our, even if you weren't a churchgoer, overwhelmingly in our culture 30, 40 years ago, people say, well, it's a good book. Love the Ten Commandments, pretty good. I'm in favor of most of them. You know, people would be, people would say that sort of thing, right? If you hadn't talked to them. Not anymore. Not anymore. We live in a post-Christian world. People are sus, you know, I, I don't mean to demean because it was a very powerful tool, evangelism explosion. One of the things we were trained, and I did this. One of the things we were trained to do is go introduce ourselves to people, maybe knock on their door, and we were told to ask them this question. If you were to die tonight and stand before God, you know, what would you say to him? 
People love now in 2022 when you knock on their door and ask, you know, if you start by saying, you know, can you imagine in 2022 knocking on the door and saying, if you were to die tonight, um, that's going to cause some people to get a little nervous, right? Um, and I don't mean to demean it. It was powerful. And it's a serious question, isn't it? Because it's the, it's the eternal question. If I were to die, where am I going to go? There's a verse where Jesus is sending out the disciples. I've talked about it multiple times where he says that he's sending people out and he tells them to be wise like a serpent, right and gentle as a dove. When we're talking to people, we need to be wise. The church has lost its status and culture. Even if you start talking to somebody now in this day and age and say, well, according to scripture or the Bible tells us, you know what you might hear back? I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in the Bible. You may still hear some people go, well, tell me more about that. I don't want to diminish the Bible. I mentioned last week. I think it's very important that we know Scripture. Knowing more of the Bible will make you more effective of telling, at telling other people about Jesus. But a lot of these things work together, and our story in conjunction with God's Word can be powerful. You know what people are looking for? I think, could be wrong, but in 2022, I think people are looking for people that will listen to them, will take them seriously, are not trying to solve them, and are willing to go on a journey with them. And our story can be a great way of beginning that conversation. We have to be listening, right, for opportunities. Look at, back to 1 Timothy, verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saving, uh, saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus may display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul was saying, the mercy shown is the lesson. All of us have examples of God showing mercy on us. I think mercy is, people are hungering for mercy. We live in a world of judgment, right? I mean, we live in a world where, you know, it's, there seems to be a significant amount of the population that enjoys attacking other people on social media. It's weird to me. It's strange. I don't get it. What if there are people in their life, what if we were the people in their life that were saying, well, tell me more about that? We may not agree with them. And then we say, well, not only tell me more about that, but, you know, I kind of went through something similar. Here's, here's something that I've learned. That's a powerful thing. And what it also says is I'm walking with you. I'm willing to spend the time. He describes himself, Paul does, as the worst of sinners. He says that Christ used his brokenness to display his immense patience. He says this is working to, to draw people to Jesus. Let me point something out here. Paul seems to be suggesting something here, that he's not perfect. Paul recognizes something that I think we all recognize from time to time. Uh, one of my favorite verses is Romans 7.15. It actually encourages me because it tells me I'm not too far off from the great apostle. Paul says, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And haven't we all been there at some point? Have you ever felt that way? You're not alone. None of us in here have a testimony or a trajectory for God to God that looks like this. Right? Most of us have a trajectory that looks like this. Right? 
Now, the important thing is we're going from here to here, right? But all of us have these moments. All of us have these moments. I'm your pastor, and I'm still on a journey. If you want to see the darker side of me, be in my car with me while I'm approaching a roundabout. There are... Anita will go, honey, you're a pastor. Um, and I'll go, yeah. Uh, by the way, that sidebar. I, I do think people should be required to pass a test before they approach a, uh, a roundabout. And that's all I'll say on that. It's, a little, it's free. You get that one for free this morning. It has nothing to do with the rest of the sermon. My trajectory hasn't been straight. There have been stumbles. One of the objections I've heard over and over to people sharing the gospels with, gospel with others. One of the objections I hear, wait for it. People will say, well, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. I'm not quite ready. Once I get to here, I'll be ready. You need not arrive before you start telling others about how Jesus is impacting you. By the way, little theological point here. You arrive when we get to heaven. So if we're waiting for arrival to be our, kind of our starting point, it ain't gonna happen on, you know, as the old timers used to say, on this side of glory. The point is that Jesus is pulling you closer to him. Sometimes, as the worship team comes this morning, sometimes how Jesus is working even in the moment in our imperfections, in our challenges, in the trials we're facing can be a story to other people. I'm thinking this morning of a man who I was, uh, who I had a great admiration for, uh, whose marriage actually broke up. That's a low point, isn't it? And this man was involved in the church. And he really was wrestling with this. It could be said that the, the, the dissolution of his marriage was not directly the result of anything he had done. Some would even say he was kind of an innocent party. One of the things I watched with my friend was as he went through this, he allowed others to kind of join him in the journey. And I was so grateful, by the way, for a church that didn't shun him, that walked with him through this and moved with him through this process. And I remember, not right away, we're in this vulnerable point where we're probably not the best, we're not at a point to share our story. And that's probably wise that we recognize that. But when he had come through that vulnerable point and was starting to really sense God's presence and movement, he started to share his story a little bit. He actually became the, the head of a divorce care program in our church as a result of that and, and led others to Christ through that and, and found his wife and, uh, and, and remarried. And it's a beautiful story of God's grace. And it was a story that impacted others. Let me ask you this this morning. Who needs to hear your story? As we began, I asked you this question, what were you like before Jesus? 
That's the tough part of the story to tell, right? But you also get to to tell people what he's doing right now. You get to show them the grace and mercy of God, just like Paul did, an agent of his mercy. We need to be thinking as we're out talking to people. Opportunities come up. We don't listen well anymore as as a society. We need to be intent listeners. And as people tell us their story, if we feel that some aspect of how Christ has moved in our life may be helpful to them, we need to be confident to tell them that story. Tell people how Jesus has changed you.